This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to The Russell Moore Show, brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week, we explore here conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week, we have a conversation to seek to do just that. I have heard more about the episode that we did with Jonathan Haidt a few weeks ago than anything, maybe maybe the most of anything here on the Russell Moore Show, because I think he hit a nerve. And the interesting thing to me is that I was hearing both from sort of parents of Gen Zers and from Gen Zers. And the Gen Zers were asking, how do we navigate through a time like this when when this is all that we've known? And the parents of Gen Zers are saying, help me to know where I'm just clueless about what's happening with my kids or with the uh, younger people in my church or the person I'm mentoring or so forth. So today I wanted to follow up that conversation with a Christian voice who's been thinking about these things for a long time. Kara Powell is the Chief of Leadership Formation and Executive Director of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, and co-leading a new project that we're going to talk about a bit later called 10 by 10, which is seeking to address the situation of young people leaving the Christian faith. She has a new book, came out just last month, I believe, along with two other co-authors called Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship. And Kara, I have to tell you, I didn't even plan this, maybe subconsciously, but I found myself listening to an acapella medley, songs that would have been playing constantly back in my youth group days, actually my days as a youth pastor in the 90s. And it just gave me all the warm feelings, audio adrenaline, big, big house, you know, all of those things. And I wonder, I wonder how many people actually have a context like that now and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So thanks for being with us. I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, I want to talk first about the problem 
and then come into the solution. And it seems to me there are a couple of problems. I mean, I mentioned Jonathan Haidt, uh, conversation with him. John's book is coming out next year, The Anxious Generation, where he's talking about anxiety and depression among teenagers and, and, and young adults and gives the reasons that he thinks this is happening. I think there are a lot of people who will say, well, you know, every generation worries about the sort of incoming generation and every generation thinks that it has challenges that nobody else has ever had. When it comes to those issues, are we really in a unique time or does it just seem that way? Yeah, with anxiety and mental health questions and challenges, yes, we are in a unique time. I mean, if you look at the data, it's fairly undeniable that, you know, in general, in our U.S. culture these days, depression and anxiety are at unique highs. And then with young people specifically, and I thought Jonathan Haidt's conversation with you was fascinating. So I I do highly recommend it also, you know, and, and on a more personal level, Russell, I appreciate how in Jonathan's conversation with you, he talked about teenage girls specifically, because I don't know a family with teenage girls who's not navigating mental health challenges. The research tells mm. me they exist, but I don't I don't know them. And and I'm a mom, twenty-one and seventeen year old daughter. And so we're we're navigating that also. So and and teenage boys are just a half step behind teenage girls. What are the unique challenges you see for girls yeah. right now? Well, what first comes to mind is technology, and technology also is a challenge for boys, but I think for girls, there's this constant comparison that they see other people's best images online, and they compare that to the worst of what they know about themselves. And there's just this constant feeling like they're not blank enough. And for different young people and different girls, that adjective might differ. So they're not pretty enough. They're not popular enough. They're not smart enough. They're not talented enough. Whatever. They're not thin enough. But there's just this constant feeling of not measuring up. So I think that's something unique for teenage girls. I think both teenage girls and boys, compared to when you and I were maybe in high school, if if you or I weren't invited to Friday night party, you know, we maybe heard about it on Monday. Whereas for young people today, if they're not invited to something, they they literally see it unfolding in real time on their device while they're by themselves in their rooms. So, so technology has definitely created some unique stressors for, for both genders and especially girls. How about for Christian uh, young people? Uh, do, do you, how, how does this show up, for instance, in a, in a youth group or student ministry context? I mean, I, I went through a very significant time of depression as a 15-year-old, but nobody knew yeah. it. I mean, no, nobody knew it except my youth, pack. but but nobody else did. And I don't think anybody else could have. It wasn't that they weren't paying attention. It's just that I was a really good actor yeah. covering that yeah. up. And so I, I wonder, uh, how, how is that showing up in church? Concert? Yeah. 
Well, a lot of it absolutely is is just as common, sadly, in faith communities than it is in non-faith communities or, you know, in other contexts. What what comes to mind as you were talking, Russell, and, and talking about yourself at age 15, and, and thank you for sharing that, is a church that we've been tracking with, and I think they've done something really innovative where when it comes to mental health, the youth pastor was inspired by a young person who, who came to him and said, everybody I know is either dealing with stress or anxiety or knows someone who's dealing with stress and anxiety. And so the youth pastor had a, a really a brilliant idea, I think, is let's train our young people to know how to respond to their friends. How do you care for someone who's dealing with anxiety or stress? And, you know, the good news is this congregation, like most congregations, has mental health professionals who are part of it, has therapists who are part of it. And so, you know, working with the resources in their church, they created this half-day Saturday seminar for for teenagers. Local schools heard about it. They started promoting it. You know, so youth group kids were hearing about the seminar at their church from their English class because because this idea of how do we respond to our friends who are struggling really hit a chord. And of course, this youth pastor knew that the vast majority of those who showed up to get training for a friend are also dealing with anxiety and stress. And so there were counselors available. And plus, you know, the principles of how you reach out to a friend are often part of how you can navigate anxiety and stress yourself. So in the midst of this pandemic of mental health challenges, there are some churches that are real bright spots in, in equipping adults. It was both adults and students who were part of this seminar, equipping adults to know what to look for, equipping kids to know how to handle their own stress and be a safe place for others. That's really an ingenious yeah. way to do it because there are a lot of people, not just young people, people in, in any age group who are really reluctant to go to something about helping them with a problem that they have often irrational shame about. Uh, but that's freeing to go to help other people while also helping yeah. myself. I, I, really I thought it was brilliant of this youth pastor. And we tell more about the story in our book, Faith Beyond Youth Group. You have uh, the book that has just come out. You also have the 10 by 10 project, which which launched on October the yep. 10th. One of the things you're dealing with, with 10 by 10, is the fact that young people are leaving the Christian yeah. faith. And there are a couple of, a couple of, theories I want to test out with you first. Great. As to as to how and why that's happening. One of them is my friend Sky Jathani had an analogy that I heard years ago that I think about and use all the time. And it was that there's there's always been this expectation of a license to license mm. drifting mm. away. From the driver's license mm. to the marriage mm -hmm. license. If people mm. get married, they start coming on back. And now, though, the period of time between those licenses yeah. is so great that people actually are habituated yeah. to new patterns yeah. in ways that they weren't before. Yeah. And so that there are a lot of people who kind of are, are counting on, well, young people always drift away. They kind of a rumspringa type right, idea right. And, and they'll be back. And I have not seen that to be the case lately. 
Yeah. Well, I think this is a, a wonderful area of what we were talking about a few minutes ago of what's the same generation to generation and what's different. Because sure, you're right. You could think about driver's license to marriage license. But, and that is, you know, the last few generations, at least, I can't go back throughout all of U.S. history, but the last few generations, sure, there's been that drift. But the marriage license is happening now in later 20s, not earlier 20s, if at all. And so, you know, what I like to say is the ruts of choices that young people make as adolescents, as 20-somethings, they're just deeper and deeper then. And it's harder to leave those ruts even when you get married, have kids and quote, settle down, which historically has been a time when, you know, at least 50-ish percent of those who had drifted from the faith community would return. So so certainly I, I think we can expect young people to to not come back at, at the same levels because because they've they've the trajectory's been set. You know, another related idea, and I've only seen a bit of writing on this, Russell, but it's been resonating as I've been testing it so I'll share it with you, is that with with this generation of, say, 20-somethings, you know, we've heard about the nuns, those who have, you know, Mm -hmm. are agnostic, atheists, or profess no faith. But there's a parallel group called the ums, the ums. And Um. the ums are those, especially young adults, who have a background in the church. But if you ask them, are you going to church now? is their response. And not really. I kind of drifted during the pandemic, et cetera. So, so I think that season of um is getting longer and longer, and it's going to get harder and harder for them to return to the faith community, most likely. Do, do you think the um eventually tips over into none? Probably, but I can't say for sure with research. But for a large portion, yeah. yes, they, they won't return. What I'm hearing more and more these days Russell, and that is the lack of trust (laughs) young people feel in institutions in general and the church specifically. That, you know, in the last six, seven years, for a variety of reasons, for the conflict that they've seen in the church, for the way they've seen the church be honestly unkind, for the way that the church hasn't cared for them. There's some very disturbing data. In fact, some of the most disturbing data I saw during the pandemic is from Springtide Research Institute that said only 10% of 13 to 25-year-olds heard from a leader in the faith community during the first year of the pandemic in the U.S. Are you Uh, serious? And that's any faith leader, any faith leader, not just Christian, any faith leader, Islamic, Jewish, Mormon. Only 10%. So with all that we've been talking about relational ministry. Now, when you pull Christian young people, the percentage was higher than 10%. It was a whopping 12%, 13 to 25-year-olds who profess to be Christians. So yeah, I don't know if I'm more sad or mad by that data. But but I think adults haven't been there for young people, and that's violated trust. So, so I, I think that there is a—I just went hiking in the Grand Canyon— and I was talking later to somebody about trust, and she said, it's like there's this Grand Canyon gap of trust between this generation and adults in general, institutions in general, and the church that is is pretty large. And we have our work cut out for us to regain that trust.
This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders, to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today. I think there are some people who would say, well, it's an especially cynical yeah. generation and that's uh, that's where the, the lack of trust would come. And then I know there are a lot of people who are Gen Z Christians who will say, no, we're really not cynical. Yeah. We, we really do want to trust. We just have reason to believe that we cannot. Yeah. And I actually think the Gen Zers have the stronger argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for those who maybe are cynical, I think we've earned their cynicism by how we as adults have acted and treated them and, and treated others, quite honestly. And I think you're right that there really is an openness among young people. In fact, I just gave some very discouraging data about young people in terms of hearing from adults in the first year of the pandemic. The same survey by Springtide Research Institute showed that 70% of young people have a new appreciation for relationships. So, you know, this, ang this anxious and stressed generation actually is open to adult relationships if we will build back trust, if we will be caring, if we will show up unconditionally. And what was so fascinating in our Faith Beyond Youth Group research, where we interviewed over 200 leaders, looked into all the research on how you can develop a faith that isn't just 75 minutes in youth group, but all seven days of the week. And then we actually visited mm -hmm. churches. This was my favorite part of the study, when we actually visited churches that were building faith beyond youth group. And from that, we came up with five points of a compass to build this faith that, that lasts and is 24-7. And the very first point of the compass is exactly what we're talking about, is cultivating trust with young people. And, and the good news, both in the research on rebuilding trust as well as what we saw in churches, is it doesn't take a grand heroic gesture <laughs> to rebuild trust with young people. It's the everyday acts of listening of empathizing. But how do how how does one do that when it, it, there's kind of an I am not a crook problem if a church says okay we want to rebuild trust yeah. with the next generation kind of a, trust me I'm a <laughs> I'm a church is <laughs> not going to work. So so how does one do yeah, it? Yeah. Well, what we saw in terms of how churches are doing it is they were building relationships with young people. So, you know, it, it's for adults in a congregation to make an effort to get to know young people's names in their church. For an adult to ask a young person when it feels organically appropriate, hey, how can I be praying for you? And then a week later, say, hey, you asked me to pray for that biology test. How'd it go? You asked me to pray for your aunt who was going into surgery. How did that go? It's it's those everyday acts. And the good news, Russell, in fact, one of the heroes in our research 
was a 71-year-old, and I have permission to share his name. Slick is his nickname in the church. And mm. Slick has been a youth ministry volunteer for quite a while. And, you know, one of the quotes he said in our I, interview. I, I, will, I will say before we continue <laughs> that Slick does not sound like the typical name of someone building trust. Yeah, yeah so that's maybe true. This that's is true. One of those but, it, but it does kind of sound like maybe somebody who'd hang out with kids, right? So, you know, maybe Correct. maybe, maybe so, there's yeah. a plus and a minus to his nickname. So, but you know, <laughs> Slick said during an interview that he thinks if Jesus were to walk the earth today, he'd hang out at a lot of 7th grade tennis matches. You know, I think there are a couple of obstacles to this, one of them much darker than the yeah. other. I mean, one of the things that we have seen eroding trust, not just from young people, but across the board, has been the revelations of sexual abuse, uh, other forms of abuse happening, and a lot of them happening in youth ministry or some form of student ministry. First of all, I mean, when, when you're a church, not every 73 year old who wants to hang out with the kids has good motives. A lot of them do. How do you differentiate between those two? Yeah. Well, hopefully every church has, you know, safety policies that include background checks, that include reference checks, that put, you know, relational safeguards into place so that it wasn't slick with a kid alone. Because you're right, Russell, whether it's abuse that's happened against young people or whether it's just toxic leadership and abusive leadership that young people have seen in churches, that's part of why they're distrusting the church. And so it's going to take some time to bridge that Grand Canyon gap. The, The other obstacle that I would see is not nearly as nefarious, and it's just a psychological obstacle on both sides. Yeah. So there are a lot of Gen Z Christians who will tell me, you know, it's just weird (laughs) to go up and start talking to an older person, even though I want to be mentored. It's weird and awkward to do that. And the older people feel like one person told me, he said, I just, I feel like that meme of the the guy, you know, skateboarding in, the 70-year-old guy skateboarding in, hello, fellow kids. Yeah, yeah. I said, I feel like that. And I feel like there's kind of an eye rolling yeah. if I were yeah. to even. So how do you get past that on, on both ends? Just the awkwardness of Such it. Such a great question. Uh, you know, what's helped me quite a bit, both as a youth leader and as a parent, is an image I heard related to evangelism outreach from DCLA training. When you're testing if fruit is ripe, you give a gentle tug. You know, I don't have a lot of experience picking fruit, but I know enough that, you know, we have a lemon tree in our backyard. And if that lemon is ripe, if you just kind of just barely tug, it comes off the branch, right? You don't want to like force the fruit off. That's not good for the branch, nor the fruit, nor you. But if you give that gentle tug, and I feel like that's a lot of what intentional adults do with young people is, is you, you take a step forward. And if the young person backs away, then, you know, don't take a step back necessarily stay there, but you don't have to take another step forward. You've, you've given a gentle tug and it's not working. It feels forced. There's the eye rolling, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, you, I know you're parenting adolescents and young adults, too. Like, there are those moments where you're talking to your kid, your stepkid, your grandkid, 
and they're open to a conversation. And all of a sudden you're going deeper than you thought you were, whether it's a question about race or finances or faith, whatever it might be. And then there are times where you, I at least, try to have a conversation and, you know, I get met with a fairly, you know, short response and my uh, my kid's distracted and I, I can't go any further. So, but I don't, I try not to back away, but I just wait until there might be another opportunity and I try again. So that gentle tug imagery, yeah, don't force it, but but don't let our fear of young people keep us from trying to see if they're ripe. I, I think young people are far more ripe for caring, trustworthy adults than we tend to assume. How about the other direction? If there's a Gen Zer who says, I, I do want older people in, in my life, but I'm, I don't know how to, how to get that in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, the good news is that hopefully there's a church leader who can help you with that. And so if, if that's you and you're listening to this, or if you're an adult who you know a teenager or a young adult who you know would love some mentoring relationships, then boy, point them to a pastor, an involved congregational leader at your church. Some of what we're seeing a lot of churches do is mentoring by vocation. So, you know, if, if the young person wants to be an architect or an engineer or whatever they might want to be, then can you connect them with another adult at your church who's living in integrated faith, who's also in that vocation? So there's some creative steps that can be taken. But yeah, for that young person to, to reach out to an adult they trust and ask, hey, who might be another adult that you can connect me with, I think would be a great step forward. One of the things you and I have talked about offline, as they say, is something I'm really concerned about, which is the subject of youth pastors and youth leaders themselves. Because I know when I was a youth pastor, I was not aspiring to be a youth pastor. I was aspiring to be a pastor. That's what I was studying for. And all the other youth ministers in my context were in the the same situation. So I rarely see a retirement party (laughs) for a a youth minister. And so you have that. And those are the churches that at least in my world, that had enough resources to actually have youth pastors. Yeah. It's even worse in ones where it's just somebody who volunteers. Yeah. So how, how do we equip those people, those youth leaders, youth pastors, and others to be able to lead in this direction when, for a lot of them, the big pressure that they have is numbers? Yeah. They're, they're going to be coming back at the end of the year and the senior pastor, and if not the senior pastor, then the board, if not the board and people in the congregation are going to be looking and saying, how many teenagers did you have last yeah. year in this youth yep. ministry? And how many do you have yep. this year? And how happy were their parents last year <laughs> compared to how happy are their parents? This yeah, year? which usually translates how into how many complaints that? did I get this last year versus this com- coming year. Yeah, exactly. It's usually measured by Correct. complaints that a supervisor or senior pastor receives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I I love talking about assessment and ministry, Russell. And you're right. You know, attendance is what we default to. I don't have any huge objections to attendance. I mean, I I do think if a kid can sit for 75 minutes or attend a Zoom small group, that's not like the best measure of spiritual maturity. But But I don't think it's worth the battle to try to not measure attendance. So I would say keep measuring attendance. Like that's that's not... 
That tells us something about what's happening. But what we regularly invite youth leaders to do is to add additional metrics to that. And so what, what is important to you is maybe it's connections with families. And so can you track how many of your kids' families have been connected by, have been contacted by a caring adult, whether it's you or a small group leader or another volunteer? Can you track how much young people are serving in the church or serving in the community and compare that year to year? Can you track how many young people can identify five adults outside of their family who are part of their church who they know by name? Can you track on the other side, adults? How many adults can name five young people who aren't part of their family by name? So, so yes, let's keep measuring attention, sure. But let's add other more relational metrics to that to have more holistic assessment. One of the things that you talk about as a problem, and I think you are completely right on this uh, as a barrier to growth, is confusing extroversion with faithfulness. I think that happens so much, especially in student ministries, maybe, because the kind of people who are drawn or or at least the people who are effective at student ministry tend to be very extroverted kind of Enneagram seven yeah. types. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so totally. How do we get past totally. that? Well, let me just say the people we assume are effective. I, I would I would probably make that amendment. We don't yeah, right. so that we assume they're effective. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. this is something really important. And you know, every time I talk about introversion and youth ministry, it it does kick up some exciting dust because, you know, the estimate is that about one third of the U.S. population are introverts. And so how do we, in the spirit of recruiting the diverse team that we want to minister to diverse young people, we always encourage youth ministries to know the demographics of your geographic community and how well does your church reflect the racial and ethnic demographics of your community, and how well do the adults that you're recruiting reflect the racial and ethnic demographics of your community? And similarly, if if about one-third of the U.S. population, including young people, are introverts, then are you recruiting those kind of adults who, uh, you know, won't be the kind of adult who will stand up and and lead a crowd breaker or a game or an activity, Mm -hmm. but they're the kind of adult who will sidle up next to that ninth grader who's come three times and hasn't really connected with anyone yet and just have a meaningful conversation before or after youth group. And so absolutely recruiting that kind of adult and then being really mindful of the kind of structure that we create in youth group. And this is one of the other five points of the compass for us in Faith Beyond Youth Group, is how are we teaching actually for transformation? Not just so that students sit and listen, but so that students can engage and process. And one one of the mantras that I'm trying to live out, both as a parent and as a leader, is when it comes to young people, Never make a statement if you can ask a question instead. So instead of making a statement to a young person, can I turn that into a question that creates some dialogue? Now, with introverts, that needs to be a small group. So, you know, some of us love leading a whole youth group discussion with 15 kids or 100 kids, whatever size youth group is. Well, 
maybe we need to think a lot more about threes, fours, and fives and how we create those kind of small group dynamics so that the introverts feel like they have a place where they can process. You talk about the difference between ministry on its own and a ministry that's geared toward transformation. Yeah. How does a church or a ministry, a group of people, first of all, evaluate whether or not they are actually doing yeah. that toward transformation. Yeah. And especially when a lot of it you have to see over this yeah, long period totally. of time. And and how, how do they move toward it if they're not? So great question. And I mean, the first question really gets back to assessment, right? Like how do we know if what we're doing is working? And one of the metrics that we encourage people to think about is not where a student is at, at when they graduate, but where are they at six months later Honestly, even tracking six months later is pretty indicative. If you can go a year or two or three years, that's even better. But usually a student's trajectory by Christmas of their first year outside of high school, uh, whether they're in college, the military, the workforce, you usually have some sense. So I would say, you know, Christmas is coming up. And where are, where are your graduates from this past May or June? And what does that tell you about what kind of transformation is happening? The other thing I'll say that's really resonating from our Faith Beyond Youth Group research that we just did is how important it is for youth ministries to actually practice what we're talking about together. You know, again, so much of youth group tends to be sitting and listening. How can we actually engage young people and use their muscles, whether that be actually, say, serving, actually doing something in the community, actually living out their faith, or if it's just even having a discussion, because sometimes all we can do is discuss things, but have a discussion that's really grounded in what's happening in real life today, whether that's what's happening with you know, the the battles in Israel and and Palestine right now, or whatever it might be, and what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in the midst of that context. So Reggie Joyner from Orange is a a good friend of mine and, and Fuller's, and he has this great statement. He says something like, a kid may forget what I'll teach them, but they'll never forget what God does through them. And so my hunch is those youth group graduates that you're talking about, sure, they they might remember a little bit of your teaching, but what they really remember is how they saw God work in them and through them. And so let's turn the dial on that. Let's actually practice the faith together instead of just hear it and maybe discuss it together. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're we're in in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Well, I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. 
But they all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. Talk about the sorts of questions that young people are asking, particularly teenagers are asking. And I think there are a lot of people in the church and outside the church, actually, who are answering the wrong For questions. Sure. So what what are you seeing in your research that teenagers are actually yeah. asking? You know, I'm I'm when you ask that question, Russell, I'm I first think of a 15-year-old who said something so convicting. He said, I'm tired of the church answering questions I'm not asking. <laughs> oh, it's like an arrow into my heart. I'm tired of the church answering questions I'm not asking. So in a previous research study we did at Fuller, we actually tried to figure out, you know, if, if students are asking, say, surface questions about what am I going to do on Friday night? What college am I going to? What's happening with my after-school job? Whatever it might be. If those are their surface questions, what are their deeper questions? And we landed on three after surveying young people and looking at all the research. Identity, who am I? Belonging, where do I fit? And purpose, what difference can I make? So identity, belonging, and purpose. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? And I would say these are questions that all of us deal with. These aren't just young people questions. These are people, people questions. But in times of transition, these questions are at like a rolling boil. And so for those under 30, Mm -hmm. often in ongoing transition, these questions of identity, belonging, and purpose are just boiling. For those of us maybe over 30 or in less time of transition, they're more at a low simmer. So, uh, you know, as a parent, when I look at my kids through the lens, my kids are 23, 21, and 17, through the lens of identity, belonging, and purpose, if they're doing something that doesn't quite feel like them, if they're acting in a way that feels a little askew from who they normally are, if I stop and take a step back and ask, okay, are they hungry for identity? Are they trying to find a sense of belonging? Are they trying to find a sense of purpose? It's like the penny drops and all of a sudden I understand, oh, that's what's motivating them, which helps me then as an adult better come alongside them, better, I I love the Catholic phrase used so much in mentoring these days, accompany, better accompany young people in their own journey. And so whether it's kids in my family or kids in my church, looking at them through those three questions has been game-changing for me. It seems to me that, that Jesus is often answering questions that are being asked, but also often pointing to the questions that aren't being asked, but should yeah. be. So the lawyer who says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The real question Jesus thought he should be asking in that context was, which one of these is the neighbor to the man who was beaten? And and, and actually taking that question, who is my yeah. neighbor and turning it around. Yeah. How, how does one get to not just the surface yeah. level questions yeah. that people are asking, but those, those how, how, how am I... How can I be right with God? Yeah, so a a framework that I found really helpful that we love teaching is three more questions (laughs) that Mm. help in conversation. So there's the three three fundamental questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. But when you're having that conversation with a kid, with a young person, 
What should you be thinking to help you ask questions and phrase questions for that young person? And those three questions are now, God, and how. So now, what is happening right now? Like help a young person process what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. Then the God question, and I think this gets at your question, Russell, spiritual direction has been very meaningful to me. And really at the heart of spiritual direction is, is this question, what is God inviting us into? What is God inviting me into? And so with whatever I'm experiencing, what is God's invitation for me? And, you know, when possible, I might mention identity or belonging or purpose. Sometimes I don't because that can feel forced. You know, that could get an eye roll from that young person. But what what is God inviting me into? And then last, the how. Okay, if that's what God's inviting me into, then how might I live that out this week or this month? So that's a paradigm I keep in my mind. It's especially helpful with young people. Now, God, and how. You know, not long ago, there was a Gen Z listener to this show who I ran into somewhere who said, I'm not a believer, yeah. never have been a believer, never never been in a religious context before. Now, this person started listening to this because of political controversy <laughs> sort <laughs> of issue and then just kept listening. And I think there are, there are lots of folks like that who are younger maybe wouldn't call themselves atheists or agnostics, but they, they do see themselves as not really having a religious home at yeah. all. What would you say to that person about how to sort of go about exploring Jesus without, you know, I, I think a lot of folks are afraid if I go and visit the church down the road, I don't know if when I walk in the door, they're going to say, you know, give me your name, address, mobile phone number, and email address, mm -hmm. and we'll start contacting mm -hmm. you. So how, what, what would be a way you would suggest? Yeah. So for a young person who wants to understand more about Jesus, what steps should they take if they're a little yeah. leery for all the reasons we've talked about of going to church? Well, two come immediately to mind. First is God's Word and reading Jesus's own words. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like how can that young person spend a little bit of time in the gospels and see how God speaks to them through that? The other thing that comes to mind is I have a theory that I have no data to prove this, okay? But this mm -hmm. is just my theory that I'm a researcher, so I hardly ever say every, but we'll just say most every young person in the U.S. knows a Christian adult, whether it be someone in your family, whether it be someone who comes into the fast food restaurant where you work, whether it be a neighbor, whatever it might be. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd say to that young person, gosh, if there is an adult that you trust, then maybe ask if you can get together sometime and hear a little bit about their faith journey. That could be a great way to, to learn about Jesus from an adult that you trust. I mean, we're coming back to trust, right? So is there an adult who is a Jesus follower who you trust? And how do you spend a little bit more time with them and have a slightly more intentional conversation with them? Now, you're leading a major initiative, the 10 by 10 initiative. What does it do? And, and how does somebody, I mean, I think there are people probably who are listening to this conversation who will say, my church 
we really want to do the things we're talking yep. about here, but we don't know how yep. to. How could they connect with and get involved yep. with what Well, 10 by 10 was birthed out of all the needs and opportunities we've been discussing. The mission of 10 by 10 is to help faith matter more for 10 million young people over the next 10 years in the spirit of John 10, 10, where Jesus describes the abundant life that comes from following him. And so, you know, when you were talking about bivocational volunteer, busy youth pastors, that's who 10 by 10 has in mind for that leader who's giving three to five hours a week for youth ministry. If they can do five to 30 minutes of training a week, what would we want to offer them? And so God has been able to gather over a hundred denominations and organizations who are saying, we wanna be part of this joint movement geared to serve leaders. And so whether you're a youth leader, whether you're an active congregational leader, senior pastor, visit 1010.org, 1010, 1010.org is the easiest way to get there. And you can take an initial two minute quiz that gets you resources customized on identity, belonging, and purpose for your youth ministry based on what you tell us about yourself immediately and start a longer-term training journey with 10 by 10 and with 10 by 10's partners. So please check out the website. That's a great next step. And and they can kind of choose the level at which they want to be Absolutely, absolutely. Right? Yeah. You can continue to receive emails on an ongoing basis. You can do more focused online training. Almost all that we offer is available for free, thanks to some generous funders and donors, as well as the generosity of these 100 denominations and organizations who are contributing their best resources to 10 by 10 so that we can train any adult who wants to make an investment in young people. And we've partnered with Barna actually in some resources just for senior pastors who are especially interested in youth discipleship. So senior pastors, please visit the senior pastor portal, 1010.org to get sermon outlines, to get meeting structures, to get illustrations that you can use to better connect with this generation. If 10 by 10 does exactly what you hope, and exactly what you're praying for. What will be different in 2034? Well, 10 by 10 will no longer exist because Jesus-centered adults in faith communities that we often think of as churches are loving young people. You know, somebody asked me recently, Kara, if you were to describe all of the Full Youth Institute research in one sentence on faith formation for young people, what would it be? And I said, well, Faith formation is basically caring, Jesus-centered adults investing in young people. So, you know, earlier I theorized that every young person is known by an adult. So if every adult who knows Jesus is better trained at their church to love and serve young people in their lives, whether it's their kids, their nieces and nephews, their neighbors, their favorite barista at their local coffee house, then young people will see the church as a place that's for them and for our world. And they'll trust us and come to trust Jesus. All right, Kara Powell. She is the author of the new book, Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship and Leading the 10 by 10 Initiative. You can find the 10 by 10 initiative at 1010.org. Kara, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure and honor. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. 
Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Host, Russell Moore. Producer, Ashley Hales. Associate producers, Abby Perry and Mackenzie Hill. Director of Operations for CT Media, Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.